Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 18. Find verse 21 and we'll read the text in a few moments. Today we continue with our series that we've been doing for a couple of months actually and we're getting ready to wind down. We'll have it all done in, uh, just after Picnic in the Park. One more week past that and then we'll get on with some other things. But this has just been an incredible journey for us and, uh, and uh, for some people this has been a very, very meaningful time to go through an ancient document called the Apostles' Creed. And uh, this creed was written uh, 300 years after Christ, and what they tried to do, and they did a very good job of it, was to, to create in concise statements what our beliefs are, what we really believe. And, and, you know, you can't put everything in one little document like this, but, man, they nailed it pretty good. And just to review, and I know the review gets longer every week, forgive me for that, but I just want to get us caught up with where we are. So far, we've looked at the fact that God created all things and that the purpose of his creation was us, that he revealed himself as a loving father whose children are, uh, are become his children because we get born again, but we're also adopted into his family. It's a two, two-part deal that is so amazing and uh to to but, but to have a relationship with god you must have a relationship with his son jesus christ his only son who must be also lord or master of our lives we learned that jesus was born of a virgin so that and here's the reason so that he could be fully human and fully god at the same time and that's important because he was able to undo the curse that came upon us through a human being he was able to undo that as the human being but he never lost his uh his godhood in all of that we learned that the crucifixion of christ meant that he took our place we also saw that while his body lay in the tomb, he descended first down uh, to, to gather all the believers together into the presence of the Lord. He also, after that, ascended to give us access to God, to give us an anchor in God, and to give us authority from God. And then, faithfully, Christ sent his Holy Spirit so that he could dwell in every single believer and, uh, and that we would know him better and counsel us and give us help along the way. The Lord continued his work on earth through uh, the church, which is a united, holy uh, church led by those God has called. And finally, last week, we talked about the fact that this church is comprised of a group of people that have a common unity uh, and that we are made holy by God and holy in our behavior as we go along. Remember all that? Wow, if you don't remember it or any of that is interesting to you and you didn't hear it, you can always go online and get caught up with any of those messages that are there. But if I could ask you one more time, uh, this is unusual for us, but we're going to do it again. Let's stand together. We're going to read the Apostles' Creed. Uh, It's slightly modified. If it seems unfamiliar to you, uh, it's because we've modified a few lines. But here we go. Ready? Go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the community of holy people, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And today we're going to focus on this line, the forgiveness of sins. We're going to look at what that means today. Primarily, the forgiveness of sins is something uh, that, that 
in, in this context, I, I think the first thing that we would think of is our sins being forgiven by God. Does that make sense? And But as we've preached along through this series, we've talked about that very thing a lot as we talked about the crucifixion of Christ and what it takes to believe. And, then it, and it, a huge component of that is that we must be forgiven of our sins and that we would understand that we walk in the forgiveness of sins. But, but so since we've talked about that a lot in the past, we're going to focus on a, a little bit different part of forgiveness today as we go through this. I want to talk about more the idea of us living in forgiveness as we've been forgiven by God. Does that sound good? So looking at Matthew 18 and now verse 21, follow along in your Bibles with me. I'm from the NIV today. You might read differently in the version you have, but be close enough. Here we go. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Let's just pause there for a moment. In the Greek language, this is, uh, the, the, it's 10,000 talents instead of bags of gold. They're trying to modernize it a bit, and a talent may not be familiar to us. But a talent of gold is worth, if you can imagine, 20 years' wages of an average laborer. 20 years. It's for one bag of gold. And at today's prices, conservatively, this gold would be worth $14 billion. It would take an average laborer 200,000 years to pay this off. It's an absurd number, don't you agree? It's, just, it's, it's outlandish. But remember, this is a parable. And the point of such a large number was the shock value. And the next six words that we're about to read will define what is obvious about this. Here comes verse 25. Since he was not able to pay. Right? <laughs> okay. You know, that's, that defines what the problem is with that large, large number. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife think this through now. Don't just think, oh, it's a Bible story. No, no. Think what this would be like. He and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Man, that is absurd, right? But he's, he's wanting mercy. The servant's master did take pity on him. He canceled the debt and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. These silver coins were what you were paid for a day's wages as a laborer. And so at minimum wage for us in today's world, that would be about $8,000. If you just considered the value of the silver alone, you're talking about 200 bucks. It's not a huge debt either way. So he grabbed him, it says, and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, same words, pay, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had with you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Guess what? That's forever. 
you never pay that back. And we, under, we, we all understand this parable, but what follows in verse 35 is sobering if you think about it. Jesus says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. That's just straight up fearful right there. If that doesn't strike a little chord of like, oh my goodness, let's check my accounts right now. Make sure I'm clean, you know. I could probably not preach a sermon right now, and after you just thought that thought, you'd have enough to go on for quite some time. But I got a really good message to preach. I know some of you were hoping, ooh, early lunch. No, no, no. We're not going to do that. Let's pray, though. God, we thank you for your word today and how it speaks to us. We thank you for the, the power of just, just even reading one of these parables. I mean, it just, it just impacts us. It just strengthens us in that moment. And, Lord, we just want to make sure our accounts are clear at the end of this day. God, help us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you bring to remembrance. And, and as I said earlier to another group of people, Lord, if there's things, maybe we've suppressed these thoughts, but, but when you bring that person to mind, we all of a sudden realize maybe there's something still there. God, I just want the slate in my life, in the life of everyone that's hearing this right now, and even online as they hear the recorded version, I want our slates to be cleaned in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. So for a few minutes, I want to talk to you about the forgiveness of sins today. I think it was back in 1982, I'm not exactly sure, somewhere close to that. Rhonda and I had just been married a short while. And uh, I, I used to bow hunt. I used to go archery hunting for deer and elk and and uh, Rhonda's dad was very much into hunting. In fact, one of his favorite things in the world to do is even take people up hunting. And he would drive his old Dodge pickup up there, and, and uh, we would hunt and go and, you know, spend a whole day at it. It was just a fun time to get out in the woods, and, and uh, it, really, it really was enjoyable. We had a, a place that we went was was amazing down in southern Oregon, and a lot of animals there. And there was hardly a day that we went out that we didn't at least see animals at some point. And uh, so, so we went hunting, and one day it was just the two of us that went out. He was always happy to take me out. And uh, this was in the fall of that year. And so we went out, and he, we drove all around and, and hadn't seen much. And he, he brought me up to the top. Now, these logging roads, a lot of times what they do is they come and they end at kind of like a, what looks like a cul-de-sac where they used to do logging. And then sometimes the road is still intact, but now new trees have all grown up. And so it wasn't a very tall forest, but there was, it was covered, really, uh, probably a 20-year-old forest at the end of this old road. And, uh, and so and the, they usually did that at the peak of one of these hills or ridges. And so he drives up there and he says, why don't you walk straight down this ridge here? It shouldn't take you very long. And I'll be waiting for you at the bottom and just see if we see anything. And so I said, great. So he drops me off and I get out of the truck and I start walking downhill really slowly with my bow. And, and uh, those uh, really, honestly, I know some of you are probably worried about those animals and they have nothing to be afraid of when I'm out there in the woods. But... Uh, so anyway, I'm walking along, and I'm looking. I'm trying to be quiet. I've got my camo on. I've got my, and I'm trying to be super quiet. And I, I take a really, as long as I possibly could coming down this hill just to be so careful to be quiet. And uh, I get, finally get down to the road. I don't know how much time had passed, maybe an hour or so. I finally get down to the road that he had mentioned, and I, I looked up the road this way. It's kind of a gravel logging road. I looked up the road that way, nothing. And uh, I don't know why, but I thought, well, I'm... I'm going to go this way first. So I start walking about, I walked probably about a mile down the road this way. I still didn't see my father-in-law. And so I turned around and I started heading the other way. I thought, oh, he must be the other way. I went past the point where I had come out of the woods and I kept walking. And I walked another mile about this way. And now I'm really getting baffled. Like this, it, you know, it isn't that big of an area. I'm thinking, where the heck could he be? Now a couple of hours have passed. And I'm thinking, I don't know. Uh, I really don't know what's going on here. And I don't know 
where he is. So I thought, rather than stay in the woods and die out there beaten by wolves, the best thing I could start doing at this point is just start walking out, because at some point, he's going to come out of the logging area looking for me. This is what went through my mind, whether good or bad. So I, I just start walking in the direction I knew how to get out. I knew where the road was. Mind you, we're like 20 miles out of town. This is no little walk in the park. This is going to be a long ways to go if I had to walk the whole way. So I start walking along this logging road, and, and I don't see, you know, and I even went up different roads where I would try to get a view of a whole area, see some of the other roads. Nowhere. Finally, uh, another guy comes by, and I just throw out my thumb and, you know, think, well, just, i got to get out of here, you know. And so it's starting to get into the afternoon, and, and this guy picks me up. He takes me all the way into town, and if I remember right, he even willingly dropped me off at my father-in-law's house. And I, as we drive up to the house, his pickup's in the driveway. And, and so I'm like, okay, that's interesting, <laughs> you know. Mind you, there's no cell phones, there's no, way, you know, there's no way to get a hold of people in these days, right? There's no way, hey, I'm over here or whatever. So I just thank the guy, I go into the house, and, and there's my father-in-law, he's eating a sandwich or something, and I'm like, and I remembered, I remembered back when I first was interested in Rhonda, I was first interested in dating his daughter, that he had spoken to my best friend and said, uh, because I had just come up from California, I was going to Bible college, Bible college, mind you. And he, he said, I don't know what I think about my daughter dating a Californian. That's what he said. And so that kind of went through my mind. Like, was he trying to get rid of me? Like, was, <laughs> I'm not sure what this is all, right? Was he trying? I don't know. So anyway, um, so, so, you know, I just thought maybe, you know. Anyway, as the story went on, uh, as it turned out, he had come back to town because he couldn't find me. He said he was going to grab a quick sandwich and get some other people and go up and go searching for me because he didn't know where I had ended up. I don't know how we missed each other. It was crazy. But, you know, between, you've heard my story. Between my own father not being in my life and now my father-in-law trying to kill me, I just thought, you know, <laughs> I started to have issues, right? <laughs> so uh, anyway, but no, I, I know my father-in-law loved me, and, and uh, we're good. We're good. In fact, he... He one time took me aside. I think Ron and I had probably been married 10, 12 years. And, he, uh, and in his own way, this is, a, this is the best compliment you're going to hear from Lloyd. He'll go, he said, he looks at me and he says, well, you know, Rhonda couldn't have done no better. And I said, all right, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. So, but sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm telling kind of a humorous story about this. But the truth is, there can be things that people do to us or things they don't do for us that can leave us with tremendous amounts of pain and anguish. And, and uh, you know, and, and, and so we deal with things and we struggle. And initially the pain of the offense we have, but then we struggle. Uh, there's the struggle of failing to forgive that person because we begin to harbor those feelings toward them. It's been said that the world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. If we refuse to forgive others, then we are only imprisoning ourselves and causing our own torment. This is very, very true. Peter thought, in, in our text today, Peter thought he was extra spiritual. He, here's why he thought he was extra spiritual. The Jews had a rule. If someone sinned against you in the same way three times in a day, you had to forgive them three times. So Peter comes up, he thinks, I'm going to show Jesus how really good I am. Hey, Jesus, should I forgive someone seven times? And depending on which gospel you go to, Jesus either says, no, not seven, but 77 times, or 70 times seven. There's a little dispute over which is, but who cares? 
If somebody did the same thing to me 77 times in one day, yeah. first of all, I should go somewhere else so that person can't do that to me anymore. <laughs> but 70, you know, 77 covers it, right? We're, we're pretty sure that that's it. And that's per day, mind you. That's what the, the, the context of it, the Jews said three times in a day. So that's what uh, Peter is addressing when he asks the Lord this. How many times? 77 or 490, whichever way you look at it. And so, so he thought he was doing something really special by offering seven, but Jesus puts it at, a, at what for us is an astronomical figure that we, we can't even imagine uh, something of that magnitude. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, the, the lesson of this parable is obvious. If the king could forgive the servant's huge debt, was, which was impossible to pay, certainly the servant could forgive another debt that was so much less, so much more reasonable. And, here, and God makes a big deal out of forgiveness. Do you know that? Do you, do you, when you read your New Testament, do you get the idea that first he demands, he demands that we be forgiven by him to have eternal life. There's no, there's no wishy-washy about that. There's no, there's no, you know, well, it's not my fault, God. No, 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 no. He isn't going to accept that because all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, don't you know? And so he says, but, but he's offering a free gift of salvation and saying, here's the way out. Just choose it. Take it. So, so he demands that, first of all. But secondly, he also goes to the point of, of saying, besides re receiving forgiveness in our own lives for our sins, he also says that we are expected to forgive others when they sin against us. One of the saddest things about this story, this parable that we often overlook, is the fact that the second guy who, uh, you know, he went and grabbed the servant that owed him a uh, hundred pieces of silver and threw him in prison, that, that guy that got thrown in prison stayed in prison. He did owe the debt, do you understand? It's not like the guy repents again and says, no, 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 he doesn't owe me. No, he, he gets thrown, and so that guy has to go to debtor's prison and deal with what he did and how he did not pay his debt. That, to me, is so, so sad that, that that man's sins were not forgiven him. He had to pay. It's tough. And so, so, so he's not released. And, and how sad is it? Here's the thing, church, that we need to get figured out in our heads. How sad is it when we bind other people with our unforgiveness? Jesus makes this clear in, in John's Gospel uh, 20, 23, I think we have it on the screen. It says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, I'm going to clarify something. This does not mean that God does not forgive their sins or somehow that they're going to be kept from heaven by your unforgiveness. Do you understand? You don't have, you don't have the right to deal with sin against God. That's not your business. And so you being unforgiving or me being unforgiving to, towards someone is not going to keep someone out of heaven. But what it means is they're going to be bound by that in their lives as long as you hold on to it. And we think, <laughs> that's what I want. I want them to suffer. Listen, you may think you're causing someone else to suffer, but the suffering that's greater is on the person who is not forgiving. Yeah, they may be bound in some way. Yeah, they may have to figure out how to pay that debt and may, may be in debtor's prison for a season, but they're going to get it paid off and they're going to get out of it. But you're going to retain that for the rest of your life, hanging on to that bitterness and that anguish and what's going on there. God, this is, this is so amazing. God grants forgiveness immediately and fully. There's no, no price that, that he, you know, no mountain he won't climb up 
no wall he won't kick down. There's no price he wouldn't pay for us. He paid the ultimate price. And so his forgiveness is, is amazing, and he does that forgiveness immediately as we ask. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I, oh, man, I rely on that. I pray that almost, oh, if not daily, weekly, at least I'm like, God, forgive me my sins. Because I know I sin against God, and I recognize that. But, but even though he forgives immediately, we as humans, we don't oftentimes. We're not quick to forgive at times. And so what happens through all that? We end up wallowing around in the, in the muck and stench of our own unforgiveness, thinking, I'll show them. I'm going I'm to make them pay with my unforgiveness and my anger. Here, and I'm, I'm tr- listen, if you're feeling like your toes are getting stepped on, pull your feet back, because um, I'm walking through your aisle right now. <laughs> But, but here's what I want to do. I want you to understand the reason I'm talking so sternly is because I want everybody to walk in freedom. I do. I don't want anybody to be stuck in this place of unforgiveness. Do we understand the price that we are personally paying? We are paying by our unforgiveness when we harbor it. The price is astronomical. We hear people say, and I understand why people say this, they say, I can't forgive them. I just can't. And believe me, I understand, and I, I, even though maybe I haven't experienced what you've experienced, there are heinous, there are awful things that people have done. And, and it's selfish, awful, unspeakable things that have been done against people sitting here today. I understand that. But usually, the reason we struggle with unforgiveness is because we don't understand what forgiveness really is. We don't. We don't get it. And I want to explain forgiveness in such a way today that I hope that you can understand it a little bit better and maybe it will free you to hear this. I need a volunteer. Come on up, Josh. Josh, for my illustration today, you're going to be God. So just stand there and be God, okay? All right, just stand there so everybody can see you. Okay, and this water bottle is my unforgiveness toward a brother or sister you know and I and I could start listing reasons I could want to hold on to this because if I told you what they did to me you'd agree with me man I don't even know how you would forgive that person so I hold I harbor it I hold on to it I think this is my unforgiveness and 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 I think I'm really doing something to hurt them by being angry and unforgiving toward them and so, so I, I don't forgive. And, and, uh, but let me tell you three things that forgiveness is not, and then I'll, help, I'll, I'll show you what forgiveness actually is, and hopefully it will set you free today. Here's the first thing that forgiveness is not. It is not saying that what they did was okay. It's not. I, I don't care. It's not okay when people mistreat others, abuse others, treat each other in horrible ways. That's, none of that's good God doesn't even say it's okay he says it's sin so it's not okay the second thing is it and here's a biggie because this listen someday I think I'm going to do a series of sermons on Hollywood myths because Hollywood tries to speak to our doctrine and they have it absolutely upside down and screwed up and so you hear things like forgive and but now how are you going to do that you, you don't have the power to forget. 
as a human being, you can't forget. I can't forget that I grew up without a dad, that he wasn't in my life, that he didn't ever help me in any way or do anything for me. So how am I going to forget that? Well, I can't mean that then, because I can't do it. And God doesn't expect you to forget it. Now, he doesn't want you to dwell on it either, because I'll get to that, how you let it go. And the, the third thing is, and this is important in cases where somebody's been an abuser or mistreating people, it doesn't mean you have to trust that person now. Okay? That's important. It doesn't mean... Listen, I knew a guy, a, a man who, who uh, abused his, uh, a, a few of his daughters. He had a lot of children. He abused uh, three of his four daughters. Um, and, you know, it was a mess. He, he just made a mess of their lives. And... and as time went on, one of the daughters had her own daughter and son. She didn't leave that child alone with her father. She didn't. She forgave him, but she did not trust him. True? You know, and I don't know if he, I hope that he was fully repentant. I hope he was clean, but I'm just going to tell you, you don't trust someone who's been doing that in the past, but you forgive them. Now, here's what the, the meaning of forgiveness is from the original language and from uh, and from what the Bible describes. If Josh is God, and this is my unforgiveness, I'm going to give this to Josh, okay? Who has my unforgiveness or the offense that was against me? Who has it now? Does it still exist? Yes, it still exists. So I, in other words, I, I can't fully forget it. I hope I don't dwell on it a lot. But I, I've put it in someone else's hands to take care of for me, Right? So I put it in God's hands to take care of. Does that mean it's not important? No. And if, listen, this is what God says. He says in Romans, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So if there's any vengeance that God needs to take care of toward that person that offended me or offended you, that's up to God. I'm taking my hands off it. I don't dare be the person that decides what vengeance will be poured out on somebody for what they've done against me. i got to remember, I'm the guy with the $12 billion debt. You're with me? So I give it to God, and God says, I got this. I'll, I'll hold it for you. Don't you worry. I'll take care of it. Does that make sense, church? Awesome. Thank you, Josh. Give him a hand. That worked out well because I was thirsty. Okay. So, so we let go. We hand it over to God and, and then let God work it out. Let God deal with it if something needs to be taken care of. And then what about these repeat offenders? Well, again... How many times? 77 times or 490? In other words, for us, it's an unlimited amount of forgiveness. And as hard as that is, and by the way, if someone keeps doing something to you and you can get away from them, do it. You don't have to purposefully stick yourself into a situation where someone's treating you badly. You know, like, like if, if you're in a situation with an abusive spouse, um, you know, the Bible, I don't, I don't know that the Bible says you can divorce that spouse for reasons of abuse, and that may really offend you, but I'm just trying to go by what the Bible says. But I do believe you should separate yourself and don't be around that person until they either fully repent or they go off and do what they're going to do. But, but so I'm just, again, I know some people, oh, that's terrible. Are you? No, I'm not saying stay. I'm not saying stay in an abusive situation. I'm saying leave that abusive situation, but don't file for a divorce. Leave that up to God. Tough stuff, but it's real. It's what the Bible teaches, and that's what you're always going to get from me. Welcome to church. So in Luke's gospel, when Jesus says this, that you've got to forgive all these times, 
the disciples, they start to grasp the magnitude of this, and they say, this is their response. They say, increase our faith, right? Because they realize, how are we going to do that? And when they say this, increase our faith, this is how Jesus replied. He says, and this is from the NIV, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, if you've read my book, um, you, you probably remember me doing teaching on this. If you haven't, I'd be happy to give you a copy. But, but you know that in the original text of that sentence, the word small is not in the original Greek. The, the people who translated it thought it was implied by Jesus when he said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, cast into the sea. But the word small doesn't appear in the original Greek language. This is important because I don't believe it was meant to be there. What he's actually saying in another translation uh, reads this way. Um, I lost it. Mm. Anyway, what it really should be saying is, if you have faith as a mustard seed, take the word small out of the sentence. If you have faith as a mustard seed. Now, indeed, a mustard seed is small, but the point of the mustard seed is not that it's small, but that it has potential for growth. That's a big difference. You see, Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't I, my, my point I make in my book is that Jesus isn't necessarily happy with small faith. You can find that in the Bible. You can find places where he's just, where was your faith, he says, right? Where was your faith? Jesus has an expectation. God has an expectation. Our faith is rising. It's getting bigger. It's growing as it comes along. The idea of the, the mustard seed is not the size of it, but it's potential for growth. And every one of us have potential. From the time we're saved, hey, you might start out with a mustard seed size of faith, and that's enough to get the job done. But by the time you've known the Lord 40 years, like I 45, oh my goodness, 45 years, <laughs> it sneaks up on you. I've known the Lord 45. God isn't expecting me to have a seed that hasn't germinated and grown into a mulberry tree yet. Okay, so that kind of faith is the kind of faith that God, and if you feel like, well, I'm having trouble forgiving, maybe it's a faith issue. Increase our faith. Okay, Jesus says, you've got to have faith that's growing in your life. If you have faith that's growing in your life, you're going to be able to take that offense, that root of offense that's in your life, and cast it away so that it's so far from you, you won't have to deal with it anymore. That's what he's saying. You see it all in context now, right? That it, They're talking about forgiveness. Increase our faith. All right, here's how you take care of stuff. Here's how you're going to deal with that unforgiveness that is so strong and so hard to deal with. How can I do it? Through faith. But you've got to have growing faith that is able to get rid of it. If it was just up to us, to, to, within us, to have the strength to forgive such grave offenses, there's no way. We're, we're hopeless at best. But be, you know, before I was a Christian, I, I tell you, I was filled with terrible bitterness toward a stepfather that had been in my life for, for several years. The way he had mistreated us as, as children, the way he'd mistreated my mother. The, the, he, he literally said these words, he hated me. And I, before I was a believer, I hated him too. He was an awful man. I would go to school. You know, I used to have a lot of friends when I'd go to school as a child growing up. But, but the more this man was in my life, I would go to school upset. I'd go sullen. I'd go angry to school. And, and I began to, and I, didn't, I can look back on it now and I can see what was going on, but I began to have less and less friends at school. And I know why now. Because I wasn't, you understand, I'm showing up. And they're like, why do we want to hang out with you? You're a mess. Get away from that kid, right? In fact, it all came to a head in the eighth grade. And you may have heard me tell this story before, but I, I, uh, up until the eighth grade, uh, the, the people I'd hung out with, they would have these parties. 
And at these parties, uh, they, they were just like, you know, we did, I, I don't think any drugs or alcohol ever took place as far as I know, but it was kind of like kids getting ready for those kind of parties, right? <laughs> Younger kids. And so you'd show up, and, and in, this is the 60s, right? And so, or early 70s, and there'd be black lights and loud, in a God of honey, you know, playing the 17-minute version from the backside of the album. Anyway, all that going on, and everybody's, you know, just talking and hanging out, and some people were dancing, but these kind of parties went on. And I always got invited to them all. And one day in school, in the eighth grade, I walk up to a group of, of people that I considered friends, and, I, and they were all just talking, and I kind of stuck myself into the group to just see what they were talking about. And, and so they started talking, and I could hear that they were talking about a party and where it was going to be and what was going on, and I, and I just spoke up. I said, hey, what party? And out of that group, one young man, I can't remember any of their other names, but I remember his name to this day, Alton. It wasn't Alton Brown from the Food Channel. It was different Alton. So Alton says, Sal, don't you know that nobody likes you? I look up around the circle. Nobody's looking back at me. Nobody's looking me in the eye. Nobody stood in there to defend me in that moment. Nobody said a word. And I just turned and walked away. And it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. Say, that's unfair. Yeah, it is. And how did that end up happening? Because I did wrong? Well, it started with someone doing wrong against me. But then I picked it up and carried it around, and it started to create a stench. When people were around me, they didn't, they, you know, they couldn't have identified it. They wouldn't have known why, but all of a sudden, man, it stinks to be around Sal. Why would I want to be around Sal? Are you seeing what's happening? You say, well, I have trouble making friends. Well, maybe there's something like this that just needs to be rooted out of your life. I'm not saying that's the only thing it could be, but I'm just saying it could be that. But then, hallelujah, <laughs> I got, somehow I got through the ninth grade very isolated, very alone. Maybe one person I would consider a friend at that point. My other friend had moved away, so I had one, one girl I was a friend with. We talked here and there, but it was just a miserable year. So when my mom said, let's move to Oregon, I said, yeah, let's do that. Let's get away from all this. We moved. We lived in the family of my aunt, who was a pastor, in, in her home, and and she invited us and asked us to come to church with her, and we did. And about, after about six weeks of hearing the gospel, I said, sounds right, let's do that. And I gave my life to Jesus, and he forgave all my sins. And then I began to understand what it meant to forgive others. And I know all of a sudden that no ma- it didn't matter to me if anybody in this world liked me anymore. I mean, it, it hurt, but tell you what, that somebody like God would love me so much that he'd give my, his son for me. Suddenly I knew I mattered to the most important being in all the universe. And I'll tell you what, if you're ever wondering about that, just know this, you matter to God. I'm just about done, but let me ask it like this. Have you ever gotten a tiny splinter, maybe in your hand someplace, and, and you think, man, i got to get that out of there, and it's really wedged down in there. And so you get the tweezers, and you break off the end, and you go, ah, it's still in there, right? With me? So you, then you go to the needle next, right? So hopefully you, what do you do, uh, Sterilize it. That's the word I was looking for. Sterilize it first. Don't go digging around with dirty needle. So you dig with a needle for a while, and you're digging. And, and as you're digging, you're realizing, wait, 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 wait. This is hurting more than the splinter actually hurts. Let's stop. So you stop, and you think, I'd rather just live with that little bit. But what happens when you don't get it taken care of? After a while, 
you bump it against something, and, oh, man, that hurt, ah. Oh. And, and you're thinking, that really needs to be dealt with. Now it's starting to get red. It's starting to get infected. Someone reaches out to shake your hand and go, ah, not right now, man. See where I'm going with this? See, our interactions with other people are struggling because we have something that is hidden in us that is starting to get infected in that way. And this happens spiritually as well. And so when we're offended uh, by someone or, or hurt by them, it leaves behind a splinter. What the Bible terminology is, is it's called a root of bitterness. A little root of bitterness in there. You know, that's what I hate. There's certain weeds in my yard. I, like some I pull and I can see, bam, the whole root came out. Yeah, I feel like a man. <laughs> and then there's these little ones. They're just these little guys. And it, and it feels like you should be, and you pull and it pops and you go, oh, because Why? Why am I upset? That root is still there, and that stinking plant's going to come back. I need to get spiritual roundup, right? <laughs> I'm going to kill that thing. I don't want a root continuing to create trouble in my life. And so it's a root. And so Hebrews 12:15 says, Look after each other so, so that none of you will miss out on a special favor or the grace of God. Watch out that no bitter root of unbelief rises up among you, for wherever it springs up, many are corrupted by its poison. I believe this has application to unforgiveness in our life, and, and, and it's directly related. The problem is we get offended, we get hurt, we don't forgive people, and what happens? Who gets really hurt? We do. That root grows into something that becomes terrible in our lives. And so the offense comes along, and, and, and we, we, other people are affected by our unforgiveness. It wasn't the person's fault that reached out to grab my hand and shake my hand that day. It was my fault because I didn't deal with it. I didn't get it out. And then you think, well, how can, how can we do this, Pastor? How are we going to get this done? I love Mark 10, 27. says, with man, this is impossible, with, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Amen? Amen. Everything's possible with God. Everything is possible with God. Worship team, come on back up. So I'm not going to let anybody off the hook. The point of all this is that you've been forgiven a huge debt, I've been forgiven a huge debt, and we are commanded by God to get rid of unforgiveness in our own lives. We cannot hold on to it. It's too big of a cost. It costs us, and it's costing that other person, although it won't cost them forever. And again, I want to reiterate, just because you don't forgive someone's sins doesn't mean God doesn't. Okay? but you're binding them by your unforgiveness, but you're doing worse damage to yourself. So forgive and let things go in Jesus' name. I want to make it clear. The parable is not talking about losing your salvation when he, when he says that he'll be thrown to the torturers, right? This is talking about an earthly example. That's not what the parable is about. It doesn't mean that that person will be will be uh, put into hell forever because they didn't forgive. But they're just, they're going to be in bondage the rest of their lives. So get free, get clean. And when we keep the perspective always before us, that again, we've been forgiven such a huge debt, it makes it palatable that we can forgive others the debts against us, doesn't it? Do you agree, church? Let's close our eyes. I'd like to pray for us. Lord, I have no idea, and I, you know, even preaching this message, I'm, I'm not personally aware of anybody, uh, you know, that is dealing with something right now. That that's, uh, wasn't the point. But, 
but I love the fact that, <laughs> that you know, and Holy Spirit, you know every person, including myself. Again, people who might hear later online, you know every heart, you know every situation, you know the struggle that we're facing, you know what we're dealing with. You, and Jesus, it's not without compassion. You know how hard it is for us to deal with some of the hurts we've faced. And, and we feel like if we let it go to you, that, that, that somehow we're saying it's okay, but you, that's not what it is. Or that it doesn't matter, but it does matter. Or that, or that somehow we're, we're going to forget it, but we can't. But we know that you can help us even with our memories, God. And so we as your people choose to be a people of forgiveness today. And I pray for every single person in this room, if there's specific things that need to be dealt with, that you would speak to those hearts right now. That you would rise up in their heart and help them to just let it go to you right now. Just, and, and church, if that's you, just do some business with God in this moment. Just, just tell Him, Lord, I forgive Tell him the name of the person. I forgive that person. I forgive that group of people. I forgive that, that authority figure in my life. I forgive that, that teacher or that coach. I forgive that uh, co-worker. I forgive that boss. I forgive that pastor. I forgive that leader. I forgive those in authority over me in government who I feel have hurt me in some way. I let it go. I give it to you, Lord. Let you take care of it. Forgive brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, aunts and uncles, cousins. We forgive them all today, Lord, in Jesus' name. We want to walk clean. We want to leave it in your hands. We don't want to cling on to these things. We can't take the pain of it anymore, so remove it from us. Do a Holy Spirit surgery in this moment and remove a, any kind of root or bitterness in our lives and hearts, any unforgiveness. God, root it out. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.